ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we've been talking about this issue the types of acts that can cause a person to exit from the fold of Islam. There are certain actions so severe that if a Muslim was to do them, they could cause him to exit from the fold of Islam altogether. But we were discussing certain principles regarding this topic. So that you do not fall into the trap of the people of innovation, whereby they begin declaring all Muslims all over the place as kuffar. And they start declaring the rulers of the countries as kuffar and disbelievers. That is not our way. That is not what the religion has taught us. So here we come to the seventh principle which we briefly mentioned last time. Which is that when the ruling is going to be made upon an individual that the individual is a kafir, then it requires the establishment of the proof upon him and the removal of any doubts from him. The establishment of the proof, then that requires that the individual has the knowledge, you explain to him the affair and the detail of the affair, so that you can exclude any excuse of ignorance. Similarly, you need to ascertain whether that individual did the said action intentionally or not. Because if somebody did something which would typically be defined as kufr, but they did it unintentionally, then you would not rule upon them as being kafir. An example we gave was when you walk into the room and you see somebody bowing down, prostrating, making sujood to an idol. That action is an action of kufr. But do you instantly put the ruling on the person that he is a kafir, that you saw him prostrating to an idol which he was? The action is no doubt an action of kufr. But is the person declared a kafir? Not necessarily like that, not at all. Not until the evidence is established and the doubts are removed, because in that circumstance it could be the case that when you question that person and ask him why he was prostrating to an idol, he tells you, what are you talking about? What idol? I'm blind. I was just praying. I had no idea there was an idol right in front of my head in the direction of the Qibla. So in that case, was he intentionally prostrating to an idol? Not at all. It was something completely out of his control and he had no idea of, 
So you always have this issue of establishing the evidences and removing the doubts. What are the doubts? Doubts generally, one of them being the issue of ignorance. Somebody may do an action which is an action of kufr, but they do it out of complete ignorance. Not knowing, not having any knowledge of the impermissibility of a certain action. So you need to remove that ignorance and the excuse of ignorance by giving them the knowledge regarding that affair and explaining to them that this is an act of shirk. Similarly, a doubt which may occur to someone is misinterpretation, a ta'wil, that they misinterpret an affair, and due to that misinterpretation, misunderstanding, they believe something to be okay, when in reality it is shirk. Due to that misunderstanding, and uh, uh, they misconstrued the situation, and they didn't have the correct understanding of it, and as a consequence they ended up doing something, which they did not realize upon their understanding that they'd been given was shirk. So again, you explain to them and give them the details, so as to remove them from that false understanding into the correct understanding. Another reason we mentioned was, if you ended up doing an action of shirk by force, if somebody forced you into doing an action of shirk, al-ikrah, then in that case, if you have been compelled, you have been forced into an action of shirk, then again you're not accountable upon that. Uh, and the evidence for that, Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِهِ إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَ وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ The ayah clearly mentions, إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَ وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ Except for the one who is compelled a person who is compelled, yet his heart is content upon iman. He is upon iman, but he is compelled at the situation of either his life, or he does that action of shirk. So then upon compulsion, under compulsion, he does it, then he is not accountable upon that. Uh, one of the other reasonings is by accident. Somebody may do an action of shirk or a statement of shirk accidentally. You may think, how? How is it possible to accidentally do shirk? There are examples where it could occur. When we say accidentally, we mean along the lines of you had no intention of doing that. That was not your intent it was something which occurred without you realizing. An example of it is the hadith of Anas ibn Malik, where he said that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَاللَّهُ أَشَدُّ فَرَحًا بِتَوْبَةِ عَبْدِهِ حِينَ يَتُوبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ أَحَدِكُمْ كَانَ عَلَى رَاحِلَتِهِ بِأَرْضٍ فَلَاتِ فَانْفَلَتَتْ مِنْهُ 
وعليها طعامه وشرابه فأيأس منها فأتى شجرة فضجع في ظلها قد أيأس من راحلته فبين هو كذلك إذا هو بها قائمة عنده فأخذ بخطامها ثم قال من شدة الفرح اللهم أنت عبدي وأنا ربك أخطأ من شدة الفرح This hadith which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim The Prophet ﷺ gave the example That Allah is more pleased than happy Is more pleased than happy At the tawbah, the repentance That one of his servants makes Meaning when you repent And you retract from your sin And you return to Allah Asking for forgiveness from your sins Then Allah is more pleased with that Than And now an example is gonna come More pleased with that servant Than what? Than the example of a person Who was out in the open land On the desert With his riding animal His camel for example And all of his provisions His food, his drink Is on the riding animal On the camel And he's out in the desert Out in the open land Then all of a sudden The camel with all of his food and drink on it Manages to escape or flees And gets away from him And runs away With all of the food and the drink on it So now he is left in the desert, left in the open land, with no riding animal, no food, no drink, deserted in this desert, in this open land. So this individual loses hope. His riding animal, that's what he needed to ride on and to get across the desert. His food and his water was on the camel. Now that's all gone, disappeared. The water gone, the food gone, the riding animal gone. There's no way he can walk out. Too far, too distant, no water, he's not going to make it. So he loses hope. Loses hope of any chance of survival. So he comes across a tree and he sits down in the shade of the tree, basically waiting for death. Sits down in the shade of the tree, Basically waiting for death to arrive. So whilst he is sat there, having lost all hope, waiting for death to come now, then out of the blue, as they say, suddenly, from nowhere, his riding animal appears. So the camel has gone wherever it went, it wandered around. Coincidentally, it came back and he saw the animal again. With all of his food and water and everything on it. So now, he's gone from this emotional state of one minute, having reduced himself to nothing other than waiting for death. Having considered that he's lost all hope, the animal's never gonna come back in this desert now. He's lost all hope, he was sitting there waiting to die. Then out of the blue, all of a sudden now he realizes... His animal is there, his water is there, he is not going to die. 
So in that moment of great happiness, thinking he was about to die and now knowing he will survive, from great happiness, he makes dua and thanks Allah. But from the overwhelming, immense happiness he experiences, back from the brink of what he thought was death, when he makes that dua to thank Allah, he wanted to say, Oh Allah, indeed you are my Lord and I am your servant. Thanking Allah, that's what he wanted to say. But from such happiness and not thinking straight at that moment, overjoyed at being saved from death, he accidentally says, Oh Allah, you are my servant and I am your Lord. From the happiness of the moment and not realizing, not realizing, he thought he was about to die sat there waiting to die, then he realizes he's got a chance, from overjoy he makes the dua to thank Allah, but without realizing mixes up the words, instead of saying, Oh Allah, indeed you are my Lord, and I am your servant, he says, Oh Allah, you are my servant, and I am your Lord. Statement is a statement of kufr. The statement is a statement of kufr. That what he's done there, is an action of kufr. However, are we going to say that this individual has now become a kafir? Has he done something which is kufr in of itself? Absolutely. However, is the ruling that he is now a kafir? No. Because when you establish the proof and you remove the doubts, when you do all of that, and if you were to question him, then you would realize that statement of his was a twisting of the words which happens when you talk sometimes. A twisting of the words without realizing from his overjoy, that's all it was. Had no idea he'd done that. Completely just twisted them in the joy. So then, the ruling of kufr clearly would not be applied upon him. So that is an example of where something of kufr may occur from someone accidentally. And so you would not apply the ruling of kufr upon that person. Another example, and this is an example of misinterpretation. Remember we said if somebody has a severe misinterpretation of something, a severe misunderstanding of an issue, and because of that severe misunderstanding and misinterpretation, they think Something and they believe something to be okay, but it's actually kufr. But because of that severe misinterpretation and severe misunderstanding in their mind, then they are excused. They didn't do it on purpose. They didn't do it upon aqidah and belief as such. It was gross misunderstanding in their mind and twisted in their mind that caused them to think this is okay. So an example of that is the hadith of Abu Hurairah. رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال حديث ما من البخاري and this is the hadith in البخاري أم مسلم وأبو هريرة رضي الله عنه mentions that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم mentioned كان رجل يصرف على نفسه they used to be a man who used to basically be from the wrongdoers. He was a wrongdoer. Yusrifu ala nafsihi, meaning he used to 
be upon sin upon sin, sinning, transgression, oppression. He was a bad man, a man upon wrongdoing. So this wrongdoing man, the Prophet says, when death came to him, in the final moments now, death is upon him, and he has spent his life upon wrongdoing. He says to his sons, just prior to his death, says to his sons, إِذَا أَنَا مُتُّ He says to his sons, when I die, burn my body up. Burn it into ashes. When I die, burn my body into ashes. Then, almost like when you get a, a rolling pin, get it all squashed and mixed up and broken down, ashes. Then scatter me into the wind. فَوَاللَّهِ لَإِنْ قَدَرَ عَلَيَّ رَبِّي لَيُعَذِّبَنِي عَذَابًا مَا عَذَّبَهُ أَحَدًا فَلَمَّا مَا تَفُعِلَ بِهِ ذَلِكَ Because then he says, and this was his gross misinterpretation, he says, by Allah, if Allah puts me together again, meaning the resurrection, if I am resurrected, then certainly Allah will punish me a punishment, severe, so severe, Nobody else has been punished that much. Because he knew he'd spent his life upon sinning and sinning. So he says to his sons, when I die, so as to maybe avoid resurrection, burn my body completely into ashes and scatter them. In one narration it says that he tells them, scatter half of them out on the ocean and half of them out onto the wind on the land. Everywhere dispersed and gone. Because he says, if Allah resurrects me, I will get punishment like nobody else before. So he has a gross misunderstanding, thinking that if this is done to him, Allah will not be able to resurrect him. Of course Allah will still resurrect him. But that is a complete gross misunderstanding of his. So then, when he died, his sons did that. His sons burnt him up into ashes and spread them everywhere. فَأَمَرَ اللَّهُ الْأَرْضَ فَقَالْ إِجْمَعِ مَا فِيكِ مِنْهُ So then Allah afterwards commands the earth, tells the earth, gather together all of his ashes. So the earth gathers together everything and brings back his ashes. And he is resurrected. فَإِذَا هُوَ قَائِمٌ Put back together, ashes all together, resurrected. So then, it is said to him, مَا حَمَلَكَ عَلَى مَا صنعت? What made you do what you did to yourself? Why did you tell your sons to burn you to cinders, into ashes spread across the earth? Why did you tell your sons to do that? Because the norm throughout history of mankind, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, the norm in the history of mankind is to bury the dead. In Islam, of course, that is established. 
in other religions and cultures, that has been a norm throughout history anyway, to bury the dead. So now it is said to this individual, what made you do what you did? Have yourself burnt and scattered everywhere. Why? He says, the man says, who's now been put back together, he says, Ya Rabbi, khashiyatuka. He says, my Lord, from fear of you. The man understood, he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is the creator, the sustainer, the one who controls the affairs, the one who will punish the people and reward them. He says, my Lord, because of my fear of you, I feared the punishment you would apply upon me. From that fear of you, my creator, I did that. So then it is mentioned in the narration, فَغَفَرَ Allah forgives him. Because the man was genuine in his fear of Allah. But it was a gross, gross misinterpretation and misunderstanding for him to think that if he scattered everywhere, he may get away from resurrection. That belief and doing that, believing that you won't be resurrected if you're scattered like that, that type of belief is kufr. But again, in this circumstance, when it is then said to him, why? He says, sincerely, purely because of my fear of you. And then it is understood what he did was because of a complete gross misinterpretation of the affair. Him thinking that would save him. So again, this individual, it is mentioned, he is forgiven. And that is an example of an action of kufr, but it being forgiven due to misinterpretation of the man and gross misunderstanding of the reality. Because otherwise, it is kufr. He thought, essentially, he believed that by being scattered, Allah would not have the ability to resurrect him. That's a belief of kufr. Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, فَهَذَا رَجْلٌ شَكَّ فِي قُدْرَةِ اللَّهِ This man, he doubted the ability of Allah. وَفِي إِعَادَتِهِ إِذَا ذُرِّي and in the fact that he could be brought back together and resurrected if he was scattered everywhere. His aqidah, his belief was he would not be resurrected if this was done to him. That belief, thinking if you're burnt and scattered you will not be resurrected, is a belief of kufr by consensus of the Muslims. That is a belief of kufr. But it was his complete ignorance and misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the affair that led him to think and believe that belief. It was just his complete ignorance. Otherwise, كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا He was a mu'min. He was a Muslim. He was a believer. Otherwise, يَخَافُ اللَّهُ He truly feared Allah would punish him. Really understood that and feared that sincerely, knowing he'd done wrong in his life. فَغَفَرَ لَهُ بِذَلِكَ So Allah forgave him upon that. He was in essence a believer. He was in essence sincerely, purely upon the fear of Allah that led him to do what he did upon ignorance in thinking that this would save him from resurrection. Hence, he is excused from that. فَالْمُتَأَوِّلْ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْإِشْتِهَادُ الْحَرِيسِ عَلَى مُتَابَعَةِ الرَّسُولِ أَوْلَى بِالْمَغْفِرَةِ مِنْ مِثْلِ هَذَا So a person... This person did that because he was afraid of being punished for his sins. Therefore, now think about a person who it's nothing to do with sins, 
He is trying his best to worship Allah. Somebody trying their best to worship Allah, but because of their gross ignorance and misunderstanding of an issue, they end up doing something which they think is good and okay, but it's actually a belief of kufr or an act of kufr, then that individual again, you wouldn't label him as kafir. Then this is the same type of situation where that misunderstanding, gross misunderstanding has led him to do something, you would explain to that person and bring him back to the truth, explain to the person and remove that gross misunderstanding from his mind. Uh, And similarly, the first one we mentioned was actual outright ignorance. If somebody simply does not know and they do something which is kufr, then you don't label that person as kafir upon that outright ignorance. Example of that very simply is the ayah, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبْعَثَ رَسُولًا That we will not punish anyone until we send a messenger to them. Meaning prior to the messenger going to them, prior to the revelation going to them, they're not accountable. Accountability occurs once that message comes to you. Once that revelation comes to you. And that's why they mention about Ahl al-Fitra, those people who are between Isa salam and the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. That time period where no other messenger was sent. So now those people, they never had a messenger in that time period. Or sometimes people give examples, they say, what about the tribes who live in the Amazon rainforest and things like that? They still believe in all of their magic and what's going on and voodoo and things in the rainforest. Are they going to be accountable? Are they going to be in hellfire for the shirk their lives were upon? Then the scholars, they mention those who are upon genuine ignorance. Then they will be tested on the day of judgment and they will have their accountability accordingly on the day of judgment that they would not be punished if they genuinely had no access or any ability to know the reality of the religion of Tawheed. So these are all things that a person must take into consideration. It is not simply a case of saying this one is a kafir and that one is a kafir. And as those people of innovation going around, they say that the rulers are kuffar and the ruler of Saudi Arabia is a kafir. And the ruler of Jordan is a kafir and the ruler here is a kafir and there is a kafir. To the extent that the worst ones amongst them, they even say to you that Mecca, Medina and Saudi, everything is kafir. Mecca is Darul Kufr. Medina is Darul Kufr. It is a city of Kufr and Mecca is a city of Kufr. That's what they say. That's what they say. To that level of misguidance and deviance in their heads. So we need to understand our religion carefully and properly. So that we do not fall into that type of misguidance. Then the next principle, which is number eight now, لا تلازم بين الحكم بكفر القول والفعل وبين قائله وفاعله. This is moving on and related to the previous discussion, and that is that there is no correlation, there is no direct correlation between saying that a particular statement is a statement of kufr. To saying that the person who makes it is therefore equals a kafir. 
I am your Lord and you are my servant. Making that dua to Allah is a dua, is a statement of absolute kufr. The person who makes that statement isn't instantly equals kafir. That has to be understood. We briefly mentioned this before. So a statement can be a statement of kufr. But the person who makes it, there's no direct correlation in saying, therefore that equals he is instantly kafir if he says it. It isn't like that. An action can be an action of kufr. Bowing down to an idol, action of kufr or not. Absolutely. The blind man who went into a room and started praying, they told him the qiblas this way, he started praying, didn't realize it was a mixed prayer room, a multi-faith room, and a Buddhist god idol thing of theirs was sat there in the direction of the qibla. He started praying doing sujood in the direction of that idol. He is prostrating to an idol. Action is action of kufr. Does that equal him to be a kafir? No. So the action can be an action of kufr. The statement can be a statement of kufr. It does not equals directly as a direct correlation that the one who makes that statement or does that action is therefore instantly kafir. Because you have to take into consideration establishing the evidences, removing the doubts, all of the things we've mentioned. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, Al-Imam Ahmad لم يكفر أعيان الجهمية ولا كل من قال إنه جهمي كفره ولا كل من وافق الجهمية في بعض بدعهم بل صلى خلف الجهمية الذين دعوا إلى قولهم وامتحنوا الناس وعاقبوا من لم يوافقهم من لم يوافقهم بالعقوبات الغليظة لم يكفرهم أحمد أمثاله Shaykh al-Islam gives the example of Imam Ahmad. The Jahmiyyah as a whole, one of the groups of deviation from the early times. From the times just a hundred or two hundred years after the Prophet ﷺ. A group known as the Jahmiyyah. And they exist to this day with different names. This group had many deviant beliefs. Many beliefs that were in opposition to the Aqeedah that the Prophet ﷺ had taught us. And this was a group that arose very early on, just very soon after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, in those early generation times. And the Salaf were generally agreed, and they generally mentioned that the Jahmiyyah are Kuffar. However, that was in the context of the Aqeedah of the Jahmiyyah overall, their position overall, their stances overall, their aqidah overall, everything about the Jahmiyyah overall is kufr, meaning their aqidah and their points of aqidah. That is kufr, what they believe in and their positions they hold. However, Al-Imam Ahmed did not used to make takfir of specific Jahmiz. A Jahmi came along, Al-Imam Ahmed wouldn't say from the Jahmiyyah, kafir. He would not declare kufr upon specific individuals. So anybody who came along and said that he is Jahmi or that he agrees with the Jahmiyyah in some of their innovations, Imam Ahmed wouldn't just say, okay, that's it, you're kafir in that case. He would not declare specifics to be kuffar. He even prayed behind some of the Jahmiyyah, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions. Uh, 
So he didn't, and other scholars didn't, declare individuals' specifics to be kuffar. بَلْ كَانَ يَعْتَقِدْ إِيمَانُهُمْ وَإِمَامَتُهُمْ وَيَدْعُوا لَهُمْ وَيَرَى لِأْتِمَانَ بِهِمْ فِي صَلَوَاتِ خَلْفَهُمْ وَالْحَجُ وَالْغَزُ مَعَهُمْ وَالْمَنْعَ مِنَ الْخُرُوجِ عَلَيْهِمْ مَا يَرَاهُ لِأَمْثَالِهِمْ مِنَ الْأَئِمَّةِ وَيُنْكِرْ مَا أَحْدَثُ مِنَ الْقَوْلِ الْبَاطِلِ الَّذِي هُوَ كُفْرٌ عَظِيمٌ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَعْلَمُوا هُمْ أَنَّهُ كُفْرٌ وَكَانَ يُنْكِرُهُ وَيُجَاهِدُهُمْ عَلَى رَدِّهِ بِحَسْبِ الْإِمْكَانِ فَيَجْمَعُ بَيْنَ طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فِي إِظْهَارِ سُنَّةِ الدِّينِ وَإِنْكَارِ بِدَعِ الْجَهْمِيَّةِ الْمُلْحِدِينَ وَبَيْنَ رِعَايَةِ حُقُوقِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ مِنَ الْأَئِمَّةِ وَالدِّينِ وَإِنْ كَانُوا جُهَّالًا مُبْتَدِعِينَ وَظَلَمَ فَاسِقِينَ So it mentions here that Imam Ahmad he of course rebutted and refuted and rebuked the statements of the Jahmiyyah and the positions of the Jahmiyyah and the beliefs of the Jahmiyyah refuted and rebuked that. However, he did not declare that they are per person, all of them, kuffar, that you can go out against them and you can uh, take their wealth and blood, etc. It wasn't a ruling like that. However, overall, it was of course that they are ignorant innovators, oppressors, fusaq, upon deviated and incorrect beliefs against the aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah. So the point Shaykh al-Islam is making there is the same point of the principle that a statement can be kufr, a, an action can be kufr, but that doesn't directly correlate and equals instantly that the person doing it is a kafir. You need to establish evidences and proofs and remove the doubts. We'll do the ninth one too. The ninth one, Al-Kufr Yakunu Bil-Qawli Bimujarradih. This principle tells us that somebody can potentially commit kufr, become a kafir, without doing any actions. It can occur with statements alone. Words somebody says, a statement somebody says, can be sufficient in the kufr of someone. It doesn't require physical action. A person shouldn't think you can only become a kafir if you physically prostrate to idols or graves. You could say something, just that speech you make, those words you utter, could declare you a kafir. Possibly, potentially. Examples of that, كَمَنْ سَبَّ Allah. If somebody was to curse Allah, if somebody cursed Allah, kufr. Doesn't need for you to go and prostrate to an idol. You curse Allah. Action of kufr straight out. Or the one who curses the messenger. Or mocks Allah and the messenger. Similarly, kufr could occur with just an action. Without any statements involved. Could just be some action that you do. And that is the example of prostrating to an idol or making tawaf around a, a grave. Those actions are actions of kufr. Similarly, so that's one point to remember. Kufr can occur with just statements sometimes. It can occur with just actions sometimes. And of course with some people it may be a combination of statements and actions. But to make note, it can occur individually. Similarly, kufr is different types. You can have kufr bi'amrin i'tiqadi. Something which is linked to aqeedah affairs. Or yakun al-kufr bi-shak. Having doubts in the religion 
doubts about Allah and the religion, that can be kufr. A Muslim is supposed to be upon absolute certainty, upon yaqeen, one of the conditions of la ilaha illallah, not upon doubt, not upon wavering belief, rather to be upon certainty. So kufr, kufr is something which is in opposition to iman. If you've got doubt in your iman, then what is the alternative you've got? That's going to lead to kufr then. Doubts in iman, then everything that goes and what is left on the other side is kufr. So doubt is something that can lead to kufr. فَإِنَّ الْكُفْرِ يُقَابِلُ الْإِيمَانِ فَكَمَا أَنَّ الْإِيمَانِ لَبُدَّ فِيهِ مِنْ قَوْلٍ بِاللِّسَانِ وَعَمَلٍ بِالْجَوَارِحِ وَاعْتِقَادٍ فِي الْجَنَانِ فَإِنَّ الْكُفْرِ يَكُونُ بِاللِّسَانِ وَيَكُونُ بِالْعَمَلِ وَيَكُونُ بِالْجَنَانِ إيمان is belief in the heart, statements of the tongue, actions of the limbs. Kufr similarly can occur with beliefs of your heart, statements of your tongue, or actions of your limbs. Just the way iman is. Kufr can occur in those parts too. In beliefs you hold, or statements you make, or actions you do. We'll conclude upon that point for today. We'll move on from point number 10, uh, principle number 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. We'll move on from those uh, up to principle number 15, there are 15 altogether, we've now gone up to 9. We'll move from 10 to 15 in the next lesson insha'Allah. And that will be the end of the introduction. Then we will go on to talk about the 10 actions that if a Muslim does them, they are actions of kufr. 10 actions that are so severe that a Muslim can end up outside of Islam as a kafir if he does them. Those 10 actions, that's what we're going to go into after the introduction then from next time insha'Allah ta'ala. And that will be next week at 7pm. So we'll conclude there for tonight. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Any questions before we round off? In that case we'll conclude. Carry on next week at 7pm insha'Allah.